0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dan. I'm here with Sam Weaver of Fortune Weavers out of Orange County, California. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing better than I deserve. (laughs) Hey, I want to thank you for um, spending some time with me today. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember how we met. It was. Don't. You remember? Okay. And I share this story a lot. Um, We were uh, at a meetup called, I forgot what the meetup something entrepreneurs. And, and, uh, you know you know it's a typical networking event but it was kind of a classroom style and you know we exchange cards and you asked me to meet me um at the Barnes and Noble in Huntington Beach and uh you know we've kind of had a storied relationship from then but mm-hmm. i always tell that that story about you you know you never know who you're going to meet at these you know at these events one person can can change your life and change your business mm-hmm. um out of you know all the things that you do so um you know, it was kind of perchance chance that, that we met, but I, I, I really should tell, tell this story to other people. Like, you know, these days, it's harder for me to go out to these networking events because right. i got three kids now. But, you know, when I had younger, no kids, n- no family, it was easier for me to go. Um, and I share the story because, you know, one person, one idea can change the trajectory of your life. And, and, and I think you were one of those people in my life. I appreciate
1: that, and absolutely. And there's no such thing as coincidence, Mister uh, Wynn. So, <laughs> no such thing. I, I don't believe in coincidence at all. I think that things are meant to be, and our paths were meant to cross. And it's been a great business relationship and friendship along yeah.
0: the way. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, one of the com- most common threads of all the businesses that y- you've had, and and. You know you you sought advice from me from is you know real estate right and right. I, I remember the story you were, you were telling me like you weren't always in real estate you actually started off as, as a teacher but even before that you had some humbly, humble beginnings um, okay. you know even before can you share a little bit uh, you know with my audience like a little bit of that
1: well let me take a deep breath So uh, <laughs> humble beginnings yeah uh, mom and dad my dad was in the air force you know mom worked at montgomery ward type of a thing when we came back from the state we came back to the states uh, from germany when i was like three years old um lived on in a trailer on my grandparents property long story short uh, i had a little falling out with family and uh, moved out to a migrant community about 10 miles outside of town so it was a rural community where i stood out by the color of my skin and my ethnicity and uh, so it was really rough, lived in a trailer park up until I think I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, got picked on because I was different and uh, never understood that, but I, I'm sure it makes me stronger today. And so, you know, I think back then they'd call you trailer trash. I think that's what the, the term would be. So yeah, very rough. And then, you know, mom and dad figured it out, got decent jobs at the post office and we bought our first house and moved up from there. But those first 12 years of my life in particular, were torture because I got made fun of for being poor and being different. And so I remember being 12 years old and making a, a conscious decision to say, I'm never going to let my children go through what I'm experiencing because it's no fun to get picked on and bullied when you're different. Right. So, so yeah, so it goes from there. Dad said, make sure you get a degree. So that's exactly what I did. I followed marching orders and went to school, got good grades. You know, I was a good student, good grades. And, uh, Zoom ahead a little bit. Met a girl, followed her down here to SoCal, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, didn't have a job. So I had a degree at the time, no job, and they were hiring teachers in the '90s off the street, literally. So uh, I went for an interview. Saw an in ad newspaper. Said I need to show these my future in-laws that I can. I can I'm actually going to be able to support their daughter, and. Went and applied and interviewed and didn't know anything. I didn't really know much about what they were asking me because they were asking me questions I didn't have any experience to answer. I'd never substitute teach or taught or anything like that. And they offered me three jobs with that. So that tells you the state of education at that time. They needed teachers, and so I, I took my first job, and the rest is you know, sort of history. So, um, I but I, that's kind of how it goes. You know, you 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 get a degree and you go get a job and. And I didn't even want to be a teacher, Dan. I—that's I, not what I aspired to be. I actually wanted to be an attorney early on. Funny enough, that we were sitting across from each other with different career paths. But um, I wanted to do what you're doing, and uh, it's not, that's not—that's not where life was going to take me. So I didn't marry that girl. Funny enough, I ended up marrying the librarian's daughter. I'm very blessed that I did that because uh, you know, along the way, I was interested I never wanted to settle for mediocrity I was either going to be a principal I was going to move up the ladder and so I read this book called rich dad poor dad back in I don't know 99 and uh man I was kicking myself I was like this is exactly he's he's describing his poor father and that is me and uh, my wife supported me kind of going after my dreams and a few years later uh was Kind of zooming ahead again, I met somebody that was doing exactly what I wanted to do, which was flipping houses and, and buying cash flow properties, and I latched on, and the rest is history. And there's more to it, but, but yeah, so humble beginnings. It, it, it's no fun when you don't. You're not born into a wealthy family because you don't have the skill sets
0: that they would uh, teach their children. Right, and and rich dad pointed out, it was actually the book that was kind of a defining moment in my life too. And, you know, my dad, my, actually my dad, my parents actually had all higher educations, but they were kind of one of those um, book smart or book, you know, system educated people. They, they weren't, you um, know, uh, as much as financially educated, you know, as, as, as we are and how much we take stock of our own financial ed- education. But that book, you know, taught me about, Hey, these are the type of assets you want. Your house is not, you mean your, your house is an asset or is a liability right. and you have to think about about, about this way. Um, but can you take me back to kind of like the, the, the finding moment when you said, okay, Hey, there's, I, I'm reading this book and I'm um, you know, teaching is great, but I, I don't want to do this forever. Where where do I want to go after this?
1: Well, you know, I knew I was trading time for money. You're, I'm working a job that I didn't want work you know I saw my father my dad's a, my dad retired a postal employee that his passion was computers He wanted to be a programmer you know I'm in a classroom and I love what I do I love the kids right you love what you're doing in that moment but you know I, I quickly realized when you start reading these books you realize there's other stuff out there and it opens up your mind to possibilities and the defining moment I was reading that book I literally exclaimed out loud oh my gosh uh, this is me. And my wife's like, what? And I'm like, oh, this guy's describing me. And that was that moment where I was like, okay, we got to make changes. And the thing is, the hard part is when you make that decision, you want it now, right? What's the secret? You know, what's, what's something I can buy that's going to give me the secrets to get what I want? It doesn't work that way. It takes time. And that's probably the hardest lesson in this is we want it. we have this microwave society where we want everything right now. And I had to pay my dues for a while. So you know, really, I started getting into real estate in 2005,
0: mm. and
1: I was not able to quit quit teaching, actually until January '09. That's when I said goodbye. So okay. okay, but yeah, that moment happened in reading that book, and I and and again, I was going to climb the ladder of education and trade time for money, or I was going to go create my own business. And I think this is something else we need to ask people: is Are you an entrepreneur or are you an employee? Because if, you know, if entrepreneurship is, there's a lot to it. You're mm-hmm. juggling a lot of different plates basically, or spinning a lot of different plates versus an, an employee. You're kind of told what to do and you have your marching orders every day.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: anyway, we can go, we can dive into the, into
0: that later, but yeah. So, I mean, you, you did mention a, a kind of a good point is, you know, you're the entrepreneur or employee. And I think you probably read this book, E-Myth by Michael Gerber. He talks about, you know, are you, even, even if you want to go out on your own, right? Are you, are you, um, are you the person making the pies? Are you the person running the pie, pie pie shop? And there's, uh, are you a manager or you're a technician? And there's our different skill sets. And if you desire to become a business owner entrepreneur, you have to be able to detach yourself from being, um, the technician, um, and, um, uh, Take, get some self-realization about just because I'm a good pie maker does not always mean does not always mean I should open up a pie shop.
1: Yeah, it, I think it's the, the entrepreneurial curse. He <laughs> defines it as you know the person that is the skill or tradesman decides, hey, I'm gonna open up my business, and they don't have any accounting skills, marketing skills, sales skills, right? They know how to do their trade, but there's so many other aspects to running a business that people forget that are important. And if you don't know how to keep your books, your business will fail, guaranteed. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Very, very important. But yeah. Uh, very. Michael Gerber is great. He's written written several books in several areas. Uh, one is uh, within regards to real estate investing, there's there's the e-myth for real real estate investing, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. But he also does it for lots of other career paths.
0: Yeah. So fast forward just a little bit. You did mention you quit your your job, your teaching job, in two thousand nine, which was kind of the height of the recession and the real estate bubble bursting. So, you know, most people, for them, that's like, hey, I got to go go get a job. You're quitting, you're quitting your real job, right? So, tell us a little bit about what are the what are kind of like the, the 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 dynamics of the time that you said, hey, this is this is gold for me, and it's time for me to you know, stop what I'm doing over here and go all in, in, in real estate.
1: Sure. So the first person that mentored me was a man named Walt Ferrari and he set up some in 2005, he set up some rules. He said, you can't quit your job until I tell you, uh, you got to get your broker's license. And when I say jump, ask how high, he's one of those guys, right? Old school. And, uh, so I had worked with him for a few years and had a lot of experience and when that market crashed and it was prime opportunity, most people, you know, it got quiet real fast, right? The market changed. And I call it, you know, the sky is falling. Everybody runs for cover and it gets really quiet. And if you had been in the business and you had the right person kind of guiding you, you realize it's the opportunity when everybody's running, that's when you dive in because that's where fortunes are made. And I knew this was that golden ticket. And so You know, I I went back to him. I said, hey, is it time? He said, it's time. Because he had had predicted in 2005 that we were going to have this major crash. He goes, I've been, you know, man's in his 60s. He goes, I've been through three of these. This will be the worst one yet. And when it happens, this is where you're going to make your money. And so, yeah, definitely not, you know, and I left mid-year during Christmas break as a teacher, which is a Uh, (laughs) no-no. I had a lot of great support. There's a funny story to it. Um, If you don't, can I tell the story? Because it's a great story. Yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I quit, I go tell my boss I'm quitting and I I hang around cause I'm not going to just leave my, my, my students, right? They're super important to me. I have this dream opportunity that I need to take advantage of. And so I'm there. I kind of stick around during the day for the morning, eight to 12. And I get a call from the assistant or from the office, Mr. Weaver, the assistant superintendent is here to see you. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this person's going to pound on me for leaving mid-year. You don't leave your kids mid-year. And so I, you know, obviously there's a knock on the door. I go outside and the assistant superintendent gives me a scowl and I'm like, uh Oh, and then he holds his hand in the air as if to give me a high five. He high fives me and he says, great time to go. Look, you know, there's some major changes coming at the end of the year. This whole thing's falling apart and you are going to lose your job anyway. So go make your dreams come true. And literally gave me that thumbs up. Hey, go for it. You know, And even though I was 10 year I was the low man on the totem pole. So Mm -hmm. maybe I would have been hired back, obviously, but I would have lost that job I had had for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So just one of my favorite
0: stories because no coincidence. It's all All right. Right. So, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you've got, you know, however many flips you have under your belt. And now you're getting people um, coming, approaching you and say, hey, you know, I want to do what you do. So what was you know, when did you start saying, Hey, all right, so I'm, I'm capable. This is time, right. To start showing other people, um, what I do.
1: Mm -hmm. So, you know, always been a coach, you know, obviously I, 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 I was a teacher for 10 years and what I realized is the people that were mentoring me, Dan, were not teachers. They were just people doing what I wanted to do, but they weren't equipped with teaching skills and so they could give good advice and I was immersed in it, which was a blessing, but they didn't really teach. And so what happened along the way is I always saw it. And the first mentor, Walt, had shared with me, he goes, make sure you pay this forward. He goes, I didn't, I didn't teach anybody along the way. You're the first person I've showed this business to. And I feel bad because, I, you know, this has been wonderful for me and I should have showed a lot more people. And so I knew I was going to pay it forward. I, w- I wasn't sure it was quite like this where I was running an academy. But what ha- <clears throat> excuse me, what happened along the way is people would come to me for hard money loans. I'm a broker. So they'd come to me for a hard money loan and I'd see that they were going to lose money. And I'd taken these classes and they had great education, but they, there was not a, there. Were, they didn't get the dots connected, so to say. And then they're being led by a, maybe a realtor that's thinking they're going to make all this money. And they were borrowing family money and they were going to lose it. And so knowing that I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are going to lose money sometimes 50 to 100,000 on, on a potential flip. And they're all excited about it. They think they're going to make 100,000. They just don't know the numbers. Uh, and so that's when I knew I had to do something about it. That's when it started. And so mm-hmm. I started offering some free classes. And you know, over time, then I started charging a little bit because your time is valuable. Mm-hmm. And uh, something I learned along the way. And now I run, you know, an academy where which I think is the best at the at the right price, but it's hands on, which people need. You need hands on support. You can't go. It's hard to read a book and figure out how to do what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, people can, but it's it's most people cannot.
0: Yeah, yeah and just... I, and I think that that's one of the things I learned a little bit later in life is I I can read all the books in the world, I can read all the study guides in the world, but for me, the best way of learning is is actually doing and and, mm-hmm. and, and failing actually and failing um, absolutely. Yeah. It really was <laughs> like when when I was studying for the bar exam. It's a three day exam, and a lot of people would kind of study the uh, substantive materials. But I actually put my focus on all the practice exams that were available out there, uh-huh. and I would just do those all day long. Do those all day long, because that is when I realized this is how I this is how I learn the best is putting myself in as much, much as real life situations as I can. So when I am in the real life situation that I know how to execute based on what I've, what I've learned on.
1: So important, right? Because again, we have YouTube, we have all these websites, we have all this technology and theory, but application is scary. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with a product like ours where it's hundreds of thousands of dollars here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. You know, you're know, do- you not dealing with something that's $10, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you lose 10%, you're okay. If you're in a position when you're spending 500000 a million dollars and it's other people's money. It's a very, it's a huge responsibility.
0: Yeah. So you better so, learn how to do it right. <laughs> right. Right. And find the people around you that will help you, you know, do it right as well. Yes. Your team is Super important. Yeah. And this can talk a little bit about that. You know, I think as we get older, we're always like, Hey, if I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, I would do this all, you know, do it. This my life differently. And I know in your academy, you've got really young people and, and, and really old people. And I don't know if you heard this. I think it's a Chinese proverb, like, when's the best time to plant a tree 100 years ago? What's the second best time? It is now. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about kind of the spectrum of people in your academy that are, are seeing results. Right. So it,
1: it depends on who they are. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people get into this and they, they don't understand that you have to put time in right? You have to earn your stripes just like everybody else. But we have, I think our youngest student is 19 and our oldest is 82, which I love because it goes to show, I mean, I would rather have started when I was younger versus older, but hey, there's no better time than now. And if you have a passion or a dream, who's to say you can't start in your eighties, right? Maybe you worked your whole life in a job that maybe that wasn't your passion. Now, you know, real estate was always something that you wanted to do. So, you know, we have the whole gamut. We have almost every, I think every ethnicity, every religious belief, sexual preference, you get it, you name it, it's in here. And in this group, it's a great melting pot and you know, we're a family and that's what I love about it. It's not like an academy where you sign up and there's no one-on-one contact, you know, there's, there's live classes, there's relationships. And, um, and that's why in our group, you know, you have to interview in, you can't just sign up. That's the difference. And it's because if I have to coach you, I need to know that I like you and I can work with you and that you'll respect the fact and in the fact that you're coachable, can you take constructive criticism? Many times I tell people, no, it's not a good idea. And it's because I've already made those mistakes. So, you know, I I say there's three types of people. There's foolish, smart, and wise, foolish people are going to make mistakes over and over. Right. That's why they're foolish. Mm -hmm. Smart people learn from their own mistakes. And wise people learn from the mistakes of others. I don't know about you, Dan, but I'd much rather be wise and learn from other people's mistakes, especially when it's financially, financially involved versus my own. And so a lot of times in this group, I'm saying, no, that's not a good buy. We don't buy in busy streets. We don't buy next to apartment buildings. We don't buy in small lots. Right. Because I've already done it. Yeah. And doing hundreds of deals. You know, you kind of get them from all different walks of life. And, um, and again, I've made some bad choices, taken some gambles and, you know, I pay the price. Mm -hmm. And so that's the benefit of being in the academy is, you get the you get the benefit of borrowed credibility and you get borrowed experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that that's that's hard to come by a lot in, in you know in industries like like this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of your older students, right? So, what are some of the the characteristics that you know? Hey, I'm I'm about to retire. I Again, I can't sit around in my you know in in my rocking chair all day, right? Mm-hmm what, what are some characteristics that make a good student for fortune weavers at that, you know, that, that time of their life?
1: So the challenge of someone being at that stage in life is they have a lot of life experience themselves. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to sometimes to coach someone that might be your senior. <laughs> and so we make that clear up front, right? That's the way this is. Uh, but the great thing about them is a lot of times they're looking for, you know, they, they might have some retirement funds that they can use to, to, for this purpose, Mm -hmm. uh, if they've done things right. Uh, They are just at a different stage where maybe they're burned out on what they're doing or what they've done. And they're really, I don't know about rocking chair, but they're at a, you know, a lot of the, I would say the majority of the people we work with are kinda in their 50s and 60s sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? And so they have established relationships, they have clear cut goals on what they wanna do, and they know that they don't want to work in the career path that they're working any longer. They're Mm -hmm. like, I'm done with that. You know, I wanna flip houses. And the other person, you know, sometimes we get people that maybe they have another passion and they want to utilize the income streams from real estate because it comes faster in general. If you work hard, it comes faster and there are higher amounts that would catapult them into allowing them to have the money to fulfill their passion. And you know, we have one particular student, I'm not going to name names that really could not stand real estate and flipping. Didn't like it. Just, it's not for me, didn't like dealing with contractors, didn't like dealing with some of the stresses, but did very well. Matter of fact, 11 flips first year, 17 flips second year, did so well that they were able to use the money that they had figured out how to earn to go after their, to fulfill their acting career. And so they were able to, you know, kind of take time off to go travel the world and do vlogging and things like that. So everybody's different. And that particular student started with me at 26, stayed with me a couple of years and went off and- you know, went after their dreams and now they're highly successful. And so that's, so there's a whole gamut, but yeah, the person that's older, a little harder because are they coachable? Mm -hmm. You know, so we got it again, we got to set those rules. The younger person's a little more coachable. The hardest sometimes is the person that's kind of in their early Mm thirties because they think that they know
0: everything they're indestructible. (laughs) And they still think they're in that kind
1: of that 25 to 30 year old range where (laughs) you you can't tell me what to do. I'm just going to, and they tend to be smart. They tend to make their own mistakes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've had some, you know, there's times where we won't back their deals. We say, I I wouldn't buy it, so I'm not going to encourage you to do it. And They'll do it anyway. And, you know, the best advice they say I gave them is uh, the the best deals are the ones sometimes that you walk away from.
0: Yeah, right, right. Right? Awesome. Some awesome stories there. Let's kind of go back to Walt. And, you know, I think there's always, uh, first you kind of have epiphany and then you're like, okay, I got to go find someone that Mm -hmm. is where I want to be. How did you, how did you find your walt? And, you know, give us, let's go start there first. Yeah.
1: Oh, so this is a great story. You know, I'm all full of these stories. Yeah. So, you know, I had a very close friend that we were reading the rich dad books with mm-hmm. and he was probably 10 years older than me. And he was kind of the big brother of our relationship. And, you know, he was gung ho on doing this real estate thing. Matter of fact, he's kind of the one that got me more involved in it. And, uh, he, introduces me to mr ferrari by chance as kind of a loan broker for doing our, our investment properties mm. and then that particular person went on to give the the author of rich dad poor dad rich dad poor dad uh, mr kiyosaki something like 50 thousand to enroll in his academy yeah. and he took that out of his retirement quit his job as far as i know and went in that but he introduces me to walt ferrari And in just in conversation, Walt says, Oh yeah, you know, I've been in the business 35 years. I own like a hundred properties and this and that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I didn't have the money as a teacher at the time to go pay $60,000 for an education. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any money, right? We're paycheck to paycheck. So I just, I offered to take uh, Mr. Ferrari to lunch and I proposed to him that I I really wanted to learn the business and if he would help me and he kind of, Put his hands in there. Said, "Whoa, I'm no, I'm no teacher. I'm no mentor." Um, and I just kind of hung in there with him long enough. And the, the key is, you gotta, you still gotta sacrifice something, right? Uh, Napoleon Hill, in his book Rich, Rich or Think and Grow Rich, says, you know, there's no such thing as something for nothing. So I had to offer something in return for something. And the two people that have mentored me in particular, I offered something that they needed. And with Walt, he had this idea to go out of state because you know we were speculative here in California. It was really crazy in 05 markets going bananas. And so he loved this area in Oklahoma that he thought would be a great area for us to take investors and help them buy cash flow properties. And so because I had a large network and people trust me, I was able to bring a lot of investors and that was the exchange for the help that I received. And so, but I don't believe in coincidences. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, the guy that's trying to get me in this pay 60 grand, I don't have it, but I put it out to the world that I wanted to learn the business and I was gonna figure it out there's a thing called law of attraction that I happen to believe in very strongly. I don't mix it up with my faith. My faith is separate. You know, I try not to confuse the two, but, uh, I'm a living example of that law of attraction works and I put it out there and here, here shows, uh, you know, Walt Ferrari, end up having lunch with the guy and takes me under his wing. And for a couple of years, I, you know, we do a hundred deals or so and a very short period of time and uh, quite the blessing.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of quite, um, interesting to see the contrast you know you did mention like Walt Ferrari he is not he's not a he's not a trained mentor he's not a trained teacher but you you learn so much from him um, but there are a lot of programs out there that you know they they're based on people who have experience in doing what they do um, but they not quite as good as delivering some of the results for their students so you know, there's tons of real estate programs out there and, and you in the industry obviously know this what separates you know um, from one program to, to the other and specifically like what separates from one program um, and then another program that actually gets results for their students
1: well that's a, that's an easy answer so all these programs are really good right the information's wonderful so i'm never going to downplay anybody else the real difference here in our academy is it's local We're here, we're we're generally focused on people that want to learn how to flip houses in Southern California, at least for now, and we're hands-on. So there's a hands-off portion that's much cheaper, but in our hands-on, we are there to help them raise capital. They're using our credibility. We're there to help them. Let's say they have to go meet with a distressed homeowner. The other programs, they got to go meet by themselves. Maybe they get a phone call. That person, the trainer might be in another state, which is crazy because California is such a competitive and such a regulated state and uh, we generally will do all the talking for our students while they, you, they sit there and take notes. And yeah. so that's the key is, you know, as a teacher, I learned, you, you know, you don't just play a movie or have them read the book and give them a test. You gotta model the behavior for them. Mm-hmm. The same goes for door knocking. When we go on a door knocking blitz, we don't expect students to door knock. We go door knock, show them what to say, how to do it, and then show them how easy it is. The same with cold calling. If you got to do the things that are uncomfortable, it's best to have it modeled for you right and then you know so then so we model everything that they would need to do and and then again with their projects it's just it's making sure you got you have the ability to be there for them when they they run into problems for example we'll fire the contractor for them you know a lot of times people don't want to fire someone i have no problem firing anybody at this point old days i would have you sam has no problem firing a company, <laughs> right and that's something i had to learn to do over time but yeah that's the real difference is I, I think those other edu, the educational programs are wonderful. It's just they have holes in them, and we help connect, kind of like a Swiss Swiss cheese. I call right. it Swiss cheese education. There's holes. It's great, but ah, it's just it's got a, lot, a bunch of holes in it, and we help fill those holes with one-on-one. Mm.
0: With okay, up. okay. So I know you know you did tell of a story about one of the students who real estate wasn't wasn't their passion, but they used it to fulfill, you know, to get where they wanted to be. Right. Um, and it sounds like you kind of get a lot of people that when they want to leave something, but they don't know where to go. So how do you help some of your students find, you know, I think passion is probably maybe an overused word, but for lack of a better term, like maybe some direction, excuse me.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So by asking questions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, one of the blessings along the way is I ended up getting a psych degree and in psychology, we're taught how to ask questions to help people answer their own issues, right? So that to, we ask questions that help them come up to a realization of their own issues, at least in the, in the area I was focused on. And so I ask a lot of questions, whether it's a distressed homeowner or a student, I'm there to kind of help them connect the dots. And I quickly will realize that they're, you know, maybe they want the money that's associated with real estate, but they don't want to put in the time. That's not a student I'd want to take on, right? And uh, so I guess that, that would be how I'd answer your question. I ask questions, I listen, I actively listen to what their needs and goals are and most people don't know what their passion is. You know, I, I want to make money. Okay. So how are you going to do that? What are we going to, what systems are we going to put in place and what, how are we going to face our fear? Because most people that make money are the ones that have failed and they've challenged their fears. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I failed to mention in the other part about what we do, especially this year, I realize I can teach how to flip houses all I want people still have to get out of their comfort zone and they have to learn how to sell. And in selling, you have to overcome objections. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm really focusing on now is helping people overcome the knee jerk objection. They're always going to get from someone they're approaching with some type of pitch. Right. And so I doubt any of these other programs are really teaching how to do that. And that is to me, the secret of our success is how do you, when some, when you knock on a door and someone says, I don't like when people knock on my door, well, how do I overcome that right away? because or when i make a phone call when someone says they're geared to to not want to talk to you how do you get past that and so there's little tick tricks along the way that we teach and soft selling because i know most people are not going to be geared towards hard sales soft selling just little little things (laughs) that you can do to get right past that knee-jerk reaction
0: yeah and i you know it's probably not i've I've taken some sales professional sales training before and Mm -hmm. the sales trainer mentioned something that was one of the kind of like, Oh, that makes sense. It's like, you know, we, we might have a, um, we might not use uh, those specific techniques or we don't like, you know, people calling during, you know, dinner time or people calling with the phone or don't it's because we probably have a, have had a bad experience in those, you know, with those particular situations. And so that's why we don't like doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it's like, Oh, that, that, that totally makes sense. And so once I, um, sought kind of better experiences in in the sales process from other people, it may be become easier in, in embracing those objection, you know, overcoming objections and, you know, it's not about hard selling. It's, you know, whatever you want to call it, persistence or, you know, things like that. We call it soft, selling. Yeah, soft, soft selling. selling and follow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know um, it, it almost sounds like you are a, almost a sales organ, sales training organization wrapped around a, Uh, you know, real estate, real estate company. And for a lot of people, you know, they're not born salespeople. They're not born uh, overcoming objections. They, they, they're not trained to do to this. And for a lot of people, these are certainly outside of the comfort zone. So how how have you helped, you know, obviously role-playing, but, you know, getting kind of breaking through some of these mental barriers for your students and say, Hey, if you want to be successful, this is what you got to master.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a tough conversation. I I want to say that I had an epiphany. I have a very good friend that works for a sales company that pushes high quotas. And I had the conversation. I said, so you're in the sales business and you're selling financial services. Do they teach you how to overcome objections? They teach you how to sell. And that friend said, no. And I said, what's your number one objection? And the number one objection is I need to talk to my spouse because they're meeting with with one of the clients. And I said, so let me get this straight. You work for this company that's very successful. And they're not teaching you how to overcome the number one objection the company gets. I want to know that data. I want to know what my number one objection is so that I can overcome it, teach my people, so, because they're going to have a much better chance at success. And so I worked with that person on overcoming that objection. And very quickly, there was more success right away. And it's it's there's just simple ways to get past that. And I, so I realized that a lot of these companies are just hiring a whole bunch of salespeople trying to see which the, you know, the cream that rises to the top and that's who they focus on. That's not fair because if they just spend a little time teaching and coaching, uh, you know, the underdog salesperson can become the super salesperson. I truly believe that. I think this is an investment. We need to invest in people. And if they choose not to use it, that's on them. But the ones that do, they'll be successful. And I I also want to, you know, the difference between us and the other academies is I believe they're just kind of giving education, but we know that 95% of the people are not comfortable with sales. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do some of these uncomfortable things like knock on doors and make phone calls. Mm -hmm. And then they get all nervous when somebody calls them and they don't know what to say. You know, when the distressed homeowner calls you, you have to know what to say. And usually if they're in distress, let's say that they're in pre-foreclosure. They're not thinking they want to sell their house. They want to save their house nine times out of 10. So you got to be equipped on how to help them save their house first, show that you care about them, before they'll want to work with you and your your odds of success go up sub substantially when you do that. And so I focus on those things and equipping my students with how do you help them save their house? Not everybody likes that either, by the way, Dan. They, a lot of, I don't want to do that. I just want to make money. Well, learn how to help people and, they'll, and, and, and in turn, you'll make money. It's just, it's not, it's not super fast. So Again, everybody wants instant gratification and I, I don't sell Kool-Aid. I say, Hey, this is what it takes. It, it doesn't happen in six months. You're not gonna be a millionaire in six months. Sorry. Yeah. I know the other guys will tell you that. Uh, I would like to say out of our group, we're having about a 50% success rate. Mm. We still deal with human behavior where they won't do the things we tell them to do. Yeah. Um, we, we can't make it any easier. That's the way I look at it. If you can't be successful in our program, oof, have got some other things we've got to work on, yeah. maybe a different direction.
0: So, you know, of all the years you've been, you've been having Fortune Weaver's Academy, uh, estimate, you know, how, how many deals you have you gotten, how many students have gone through and, you know, uh, maybe how many homes you have saved as well, because that's important to you.
1: Well, we have a, a unique program called the Fortune Price Lift, which is our ministry side, where we help homeowners either save their house or help them flip their own house. And so mm-hmm. those are for the people that have a great story and we know that we can invest in them. And so, again, we have that side. Uh, which is wonderful. we've done a lot of those in the last two years, specifically started that in 2013 and it's grown as a very popular program. And uh, yeah, you know, you don't make any money when you help someone save their house, (laughs) but you feel good at the end of the day, there's that fulfillment. And I would much rather look in the mirror, knowing I did something good for somebody Mm -hmm. versus hinder them. And a lot of times when we're buying all cash from someone that's going through a life event, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, we're getting the benefit of their, their, their failure in that Mm -hmm. moment or maybe their health issue, their divorce, or whatever it is. And so this is kind of something we offer uh, to balance that out. Now, success. We have about 220 students in our academy from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Stayed very small on purpose. That's That was something we, we generally won't take on more than two to three students a month because we have to give them the hands-on. It's really hard to take on 100 people and think that you're going to serve them well. It's not yeah. possible. You know, and that's probably a big difference between a lot of the other groups out there. They're taking on thousands of students a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just think of, think of going to college or, you know, you're in a, you're, you're in that class where there's 300 students versus the class where there's 10 students, right? You're going to get a, you know, the teacher ratio, teacher to student ratio is very important for a good education. And so, and so something we take pride in is not getting too big, too fast. Mm-hmm. And then, so I would say, again, we've had about a 50% success rate. Most, a lot of those people come in and they, don't find a deal in their first month and they yeah. fall out and they don't attend class anymore. And that's, that's part of that human nature thing. We're, we're, we're you know, dealing with, yeah. but uh, the ones that stick with it and they do what we teach them to do, they generally will
0: always have success. Yeah. And, and you have a lot of students that have gone and used other programs before yours and then come to you and say, Hey, like I, I've spent a bunch of money over here and, and now I'm going to come to you. What are sort of some of those common threads that you've been seeing um, with, you know, basically yours, yours being almost like maybe the last stop in their real estate education.
1: Yeah. And that happens a lot. Usually they spend a whole bunch of money. You know, I have one student in particular says he spent a hundred thousand on other programs, popular programs, right? Things you hear about on TV and they hear about fortune weavers. They come to one of our meetings and they're like, Oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't spent the hundred thousand and come here first, but it's not, it's not usually the case. Usually again, they're because we're not super big and we're not spending money on TV ads or radio ads and stuff like that. So yeah, they'll, they'll come to us and, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, look what I found. I had this comment, you know, I was doing a, a class two weeks ago on how to overcome objections. And one of the more seasoned students goes, oh my God, who had been in other programs and been a part of real estate for a while. said these people have no idea what they're getting. They have no idea how wonderful this is because they have nothing. Sometimes they have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So it was, I, I, I love it when I hear those comments because it makes me feel good about you know, what we do. It's a lot of, teaching's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 I've been fortunate to teach one semester of, of, of law school. And, you know, for sure, I, 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 I think I may have lost the money during that, you know, yeah. that semester, but it was such 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 a wonderful experience uh, to go through. And one of the things I actually like about what you guys do is, you know, obviously not just teaching from the front of the room and then you have the experience, but also the role playing, Right. Because it's it's one thing for me to like okay what's most my most common objections what's what's my most how do I respond to this on paper, mm-hmm. but it's different when I'm seeing across from somebody and someone's giving me those objections and then now in the moment I have to tell them what how, to, how how I'm supposed to come overcome those.
1: Yeah, so the reason why you role play is and nobody likes doing that actually they don't like role playing because they're put on the spot especially in front of me right mm-hmm. that's a. They don't like to be put on the spot in front of the, the, the teacher. But the reason why we role play is you want to learn how to role playing It's so important because it's so much easier to fail when you know you can fix it versus being in a situation where there's money on the line and you get nervous and you say the wrong thing and you cost yourself that sale. And, you know, in our business, that's hundred, you know, 50 to $100,000 a lot of times, and so, again, most of this is learning how to overcome that fear, right? Because when you don't know something or you don't have all the answers, a lot of times there's a, an uncomfortable feeling associated with that. And if you get rejected in real life, it's hard to get, maybe you can't get rid of that feeling. Maybe it's going to prevent you from moving forward in the business. So I'd much rather you fail in front of a friendly audience or in front of maybe one or two other people versus fail horribly in, in a real situation. And then you can't, you just can't get back up. And I see that a lot where there's that failure and it's like, I'm done. You know, I couldn't, I can't, I can't get back from this one. So role playing again, you know, I was watching a video from Grant Cordone. He's one of my favorite sales Mm -hmm. people, um, motivational speakers as well. And his people that are his hired salespeople role play every morning for about an hour. Mm -hmm right? Because they're selling their packages, right? That's such a, and I just, I can't stress how important it is to learn how to overcome those objections and know what to say right away. So when it comes up, you got the answer. And then, then there's the the air of confidence, right? Carry yourself a little different when you already have all the answers. (laughs) Yeah. Air
0: air, air smells uh, better. You sleep better. People call you sir. All right. So, uh, there's lots of, uh, you know, benefits of, of, you know, making small progress. And then we ultimately close that deal. You're, you're right. So we're, we're near the end here. Um, let's see some rapid fire questions Sure. and uh, we'll wrap this up. All right. So uh, who do you look up most
1: to? So one of the things I, I would stress to anybody that wants to get involved in anything is find somebody that's more successful than you and see if you can somehow offer something in return for the getting their advice. I'll get, I, I'm going to tell a little story here. I know. So, my son, I think he's 18 at the time, you know, 18 year olds tend to be going out and dancing a lot or maybe he was 19. I remember, but uh, he goes, dad, I want to start a nightclub. And you know, our instant thought in that moment is you don't know what you're talking about. You're young. No, you're not going to start a nightclub. You don't have the money, blah, blah, blah. And, but my advice in that moment was all right, I'm not going to say no. And obviously he'd probably want me to invest in it. Why don't you go interview, two people that run nightclubs and see what the pros and cons are and see if it's something that you would like to do. So he went and did that. He came back. I don't want to do a nightclub. (laughs) And so I guess um, I look up to people that are doing the next level compared to me. So there's plenty of people, you know, we are running about 25, 30 projects at a time. And uh, you know, there's plenty of people that are buying 30 projects a month, thousand a year. So I look up to those people because they have systems in place that are crazy. I mean, we have a hard enough time managing what we have. I can't even imagine, you know, 10 times that or a thousand, just crazy. So I look up to those people that are successful in my industry and other industries that have figured out because there's a transition that needs to take place when you go from entrepreneur or employee to entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. There's a, I call it a transcendence. You have to go when you, you know, in the beginning you want and desire to make money, right? Mm-hmm. Because money is kind of what we're after. It's not always a sense of fulfillment, at least in the beginning. And I always say you go from wanting and, de- and desiring to expecting, expectation. So I know for me, there had to be this transcendence that took place. And it came from surrounding myself with other people that were better than me, getting kind of away from my old circle. You know, I didn't, I never forgot my friends, you know, I love my friends, but you're generally within 15% up or down of the income level of the people you, you feel the most comfortable with. Yeah. And so I had to start spending time with people that made more money than me. Having a different type of conversation, and then that transcendence that takes place from wanting to make money to now expecting to make money. I expect to make a certain amount every year, and it should always grow. Mm-hmm. Well, it should never go down. Yeah. And you know, if you're in business long enough, you're going to have down years and up years. Yeah. But uh, so I look up to those people that are successful entrepreneurs that have been doing it for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, and usually we we see that there's a trend in some of the behaviors that they encompass in their, in their business. Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. Um, what's the best business advice you've received?
1: Learn to say no and set boundaries. So one of the things when you're starting out is you, you sort of become a yes man or woman. You say yes to everybody and you want to make the most of every opportunity. Best advice for me was learn to set boundaries, learn to say no, you can't be everything to everybody. And, uh, and, and that is really, more of a new thing for me I'm this is the year of discipline for me I'm learning to set my hours I used to answer phone calls at 11 p.m. at night Mm -hmm. Uh, my new hours are nine to six you know I won't answer a phone call after that that needs to be family time because what happens is you tend to sacrifice your family to be a successful entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and it's not fair to them and so you know I don't want to be alone in this life I'm not doing (laughs) this to be alone I'm doing this to celebrate with the people I love And, uh, so learning to set boundaries has been the best advice. And what I did is I had, I've had people come in and analyze our business model and people that, you know, in particular last year, we had a person that owned a company that was Forbes, I don't know, top 50 companies in America. He came in and, and assessed us and he said some things that weren't very nice to us. And so, (laughs) you know, it's so, and I think that's something that you need to do is be open to constructive criticism. You don't know it all, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's always good to get the data on what you, what's working, what's not, and then ask people that are working with you what you can improve
0: on. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's the best business book you've read?
1: So there's two. So the first one, uh, and we've talked about both of these funny enough, the first one was obviously Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's what gave me my start, gave me the kick in the pants to go, okay, I need to make some changes or I'm going to get stuck. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get stuck like my mom and dad did, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we see them and we're like, oh, I'm following in their footsteps. Uh, so that was what gave me the epiphany. The second book, which is later is the e myth by Michael Gerber because mm-hmm. the only way so there's two types of business owners there 's people that um, work in their business and there's work on their business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and your business can own you and I had to learn to give up some control and create some systems and trust other people in order to scale so you know in order to scale this, eventually we 'd like to franchise this. We have a lot of work to do, but that 's only going to come with systems. And Michael Gerber says in that book, 90% of businesses fail because they have no systems.
0: All right. And the last question, Uh, what's the biggest challenge in your business right now?
1: Biggest challenge in the business. Uh, I have my biggest challenge in particular is giving up control.
0: That you're yeah. a, true, a true entrepreneur.
1: Yes. <laughs> so I've brought on other people. I'm trusting other people. I've created some several businesses that support the academy. Mm-hmm. And in each of those businesses, I have an important key person or partner
0: mm-hmm.
1: and or partners. And that is what I've had to learn to do. So that's been the biggest challenge is giving up
0: control of your baby. All right. Hey, so thanks again for your time, uh, Sam. And if we want to learn more about what you do, over at uh, Fortune Weavers, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, uh, fortuneweaversacademy.com. We're on YouTube. If you just Google Fortune Weavers, you'll see our our, our YouTube and our our other social media outlets. And uh, we generally give uh, an overview once a month where we kind of share what we're about. And so if you're in the local Southern California market in particular, uh, we do go up to about Paso Robles and we go down to San Diego. If you're in our local market, um, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, I think our our, our emails, info at fortuneweavers.com. And you can actually uh, just email us and get some answers real quick and see if if there's a fit for us. Awesome. Hey,
0: thanks again for your time and we'll see you soon. Sounds good, Dan. Appreciate the time. Yeah.